us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are here, that you are indeed with us, the great gift of Emmanuel, and we ask that your spirit would rest upon us now, and you would open our hearts, open our lives, open our minds to your love, to your joy, to your peace that passes all understanding, and we pray that it would guard our hearts and minds tonight as we give ourselves again to you. And let your joy reign, both in this place and around your world. In Jesus' mighty name. And all who agree, say, amen, amen. amen. Um, Our scripture tonight um, comes from about 450 B.C., a very dark time in our world. Uh, uh, Jerusalem lays in ruins after being sacked in 586 and people being taken away to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And yet we have this incredible prophecy from Ezra. Uh, through the book of Nehemiah. Let's share in God's good word together. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to be with you all tonight. My name is Mark Foster, and I am thrilled to be preaching at One Church. I am filling in for John, because it was finals week. And uh, nothing like trying to study for a final or write a paper when you got a sermon on your head. So um, I'm, I'm glad to be with you all tonight. I want you to think back to when you were a child. The joy of childhood. Do you feel the same level of pleasure in your life now as you did as a child? Childhood thrills are often left behind in childhood. Somewhere along the way, our pleasure, our ability to experience awe and wonder dies. Psychologists will say this happens as we overstimulate our pleasure systems to the point of becoming thrilled to death. One of my mentors and the head of the psychology department at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, his name's Archibald Hart. Chantel and I got to spend a good two weeks with him, a powerful time in our life. And he said this, he said, overindulgence and seeking too much stimulation for our brain's pleasure center is slowly dysregulating it, causing it to lose its ability to enthrall. Think about the last time you were in awe and wonder at something in your life. He wrote these words actually in 2007, the same year that the Apple uh, released its first iPhone. Think about that. Prophetic words. Dr. Hart and his work and research asked people what they wanted more of in their lives. And they had two common responses more than any other. Do you know what people really wanted in their life? Peace. And more time. That's what they really wanted. Think about it um, for yourself. Can we just have a moment of peace you ever heard yourself say that? If I only had a little more time to get things done. And what we're really saying, what we've lost, is that we're longing for joy. 
Today we look to God and to the Scriptures as we find ourselves longing for joy. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Uh, they might be helpful to you. If they are, I invite you to fill those out, take them with you. Um, if they don't help you, um, don't worry about it. They're just there to help. Uh, it's not a test. So, one of the wealthiest families in America uh, are the Rockefellers. Anybody been to Rockefeller Center? You know, I mean, pretty, pretty neat stuff. And you know what John D. Rockefeller says? He says, I can think of nothing less pleasurable than a life devoted to pleasure. Absolutely miserable. Had, he could have anything that he wanted. And, and we have this ancient problem. It's also a modern problem. It's known as anhedonia. It's a feeling of cheerlessness or joylessness where we, our life is not as it is intended. There is no, it's not that we're sad. It's just we're dead inside. Nothing really makes us have any sort of joy or cheer. The things that used to do that when we were kids, it just doesn't do it. We've seen it. We've been there. We've done that. Anhedonia is a reduced ability to experience pleasure. It's a real problem in our world. Um, some folks would call it an epidemic. Anhedonia is not having anything in your life that can move your heart. That can move your heart. I once heard a gentleman about my age say that he wasn't sure if his tear ducts were working anymore because he hadn't cried in so long. Nothing moved him. He was no longer really living. So Dr. Hart said it to us like this in class. He said, despite having more resources of pleasure than ever before in history, we are probably the unhappiest people who have ever lived. Now, certainly, as I've traveled the world on your behalf to Africa, Nigeria, Mexico, Guatemala, uh, Turkey, um, it's amazing. There are people who have a lot less that have a lot more joy in their lives. We ought to take a look at what that's about. We're going to try to do that tonight. Because if you're not careful, this beautiful, wonderful, awesome season that that celebrates the greatest thing that's ever happened on the face of the earth can feel a lot more like this. Right? By the way, did you notice the rope? It is hanging on by a thread. And I would like to say that this is just hyperbole, but actually... Um, and the Journal of, of American um, Pediatrics and uh, Doctors and Physicians, um, you, many, I've said this before, many of you will know this, that deaths by despair rose in America by 900% in the last 18 years. For people a little older than I am, 55 to 64, this is an, a, a uniquely American problem. It's largely in the Rust Belt. Um, but this was, there's been two years in a row now, basically... Um, the mortality rate, uh, we would live older and older, you know, that life expectancy, um, pretty much all of my life until two years ago. And then it started dropping, largely because of suicide and opioid addiction among people my age, people in their 50s and 60s primarily, and suicides among teenagers. And, and they say, well, what's, what's driving that? And there's a whole bunch of different things driving that. There's not one thing that they can point to. But one thing that I've learned, um, and psychologists and sociologists have found, that they know is true, and you know this is true in your own life, and that is comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. I'd like for you to say that out loud with me, just so it resonates with you. Comparison is the thief of joy. You ever make a... 
Uh, like you've been really struggling in a class and you pulled a solid 88 and you're so excited you're not going to fail. And, uh, you know, maybe you post that or you tell a friend, and they're like, really, I made a 98. And you're like, I don't feel so good about my 88 anymore. But just a moment ago, you felt great. Man, Facebook is a dog on this one, isn't it? Instagram, those social media pieces. The other thing that we struggle with with our smartphones is that knowledge without power leads to fear. We see the things, the cruelty of the world, and we're not powerful enough to stop it. And we know that. Our children look at the more than 300 um, mass shootings this year alone, and, and they're, they're overwhelmed um, both by that it happens and by being able to see it in real time. That leads to real fear and anxiety and depression. And so we have to be really careful about that. I, was, um, I would recommend an article to you by Tristan Harris. It was in the New York Times last week. Uh, he writes for the Center for Humane Technology, and he says this, Our brains, yours and mine, they're not built for omniscient awareness of the world's suffering. We're not made for that. And we, we, as people of faith, we know this from Genesis 3. Adam and Eve had the opportunity to know the things that God knew, and God said, no, that's not good for you. And so they ate of the tree, and they received the knowledge, and sure enough, we've been broken ever since. We're not meant to know the things that God knows. We're not wired for it. We don't have the power to do the good things that need to happen to protect us and care for others with all of the tragedy in the world. We're not supposed to know it all. It's too much, too fast, too soon. Does this make sense to you? So um, we're going to talk later about some things we can do this, but oftentimes when I talk about these things, we think about, you know, well, we need to do that for our kids, and we need to do it for everyone, for everyone. So this is a depressing sermon. (laughs) So how do we find joy? How do we do it? Well, I would remind you uh, that Ezra and Nehemiah, they're talking in a, in a very dark time, and yet they say this, this day is holy, sacred, set apart to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Now, notice that mourning and weeping is appropriate, but they've done that. And they're like, okay, you've done that, and that's good. That's a part of how we're made. But now that you've done that, also remember that God is with us. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And there is that gap between God's word and God's standards and where we are, and, and we should weep about that. But then there comes a time that says, okay, weeping time is over. It's time to celebrate. It's time to gather. It's time to know that God is with us. And that's what we do at Christmas. That's what we do at Easter. That's what we do in celebrations. That's what the Jewish people did before Christ came. And so Ezra says to them, go your way. Eat steak. That's what he's saying. That is what he's saying, by the way. And when it says eat the fat, it means, you know, don't, don't get the stuff that doesn't have any marbling in it. That's gross. It's tough. Get the stuff with the good, you know, where it smells good, tastes good. Get that, and then get some sweet wine. And send some food, some portions, to those for whom nothing is prepared, either because they couldn't make it to the party or because they couldn't afford it. And don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Say that last line with me. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, the prophet Ezra urged the people to eat with friends. The kinds of things that we still do today. And family. And to send food to the poor and to those who could not attend. If you wonder where we get these traditions, it's actually been around for thousands and thousands of years, even before Christ. As they had big celebrations, this is what you would do. It's a way to celebrate God. You gather those around, but you never forget those who couldn't attend or those who couldn't afford to do so on their own. Now, as you read this, scholars disagree, and I think it's lovely, because it could be the joy of the Lord is our strength, 
which is how I learned it, but it could also be the joy in the Lord is our strength. The more you're in the Lord, the more joy you have. It includes our commitment to things like Sabbath rest and to reading the scriptures and to um, belonging with one another in community. And perhaps my favorite, I like to think it like this, it could also be that it's actually God's strength and protection that is our joy. Because Christ is with us, because God is with us, we have joy. We have nothing to fear. And so we can sing this time of year, joy to the world. The Lord is come. We don't have to wait any longer. The Lord has come. The Lord is here. I love the way Dallas Willard puts it. He says the incarnation is about seeing the greatness of Jesus. God himself leaving the throne, coming to us. This little baby is just the beginning of the incarnation. It is a cosmic event that touches the whole universe, bringing a wonderful, ravishing reconciliation. So friends, if you want joy in your life, know this. Joy begins and ends with God. In God. In God's strength, in God's power, in God's love for you and for all the world. So you can have joy. You can have joy. The psalmist says it like this. You, God, show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Jesus, God himself, after he had grown and began his teaching ministry, he said this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first commandment. That's where joy comes from. And the second is like it. You shall love your Say it with me. Neighbor as yourself. If you want joy in your life, love God, love neighbor. There's no other great commandments greater than these. That's what Jesus teaches us. And so this thing about joy, if you seek joy, if your aim is for joy, you're going to miss it. If you're aiming for joy, you're going to miss it every time because joy is a byproduct of following Jesus. Amen? And you need to know this. This is how joy happens. It happens by indirection. Right? You can't go seek joy because otherwise you're going to miss it. There's not enough pleasure. That's what addiction's all about. More and more and more, and you think it's going to get better, and it's not. It takes more to get the same kind of kick or effect, and so the next thing you know, you're absolutely miserable. Joy is a byproduct of living a life following Jesus. So Jesus says it like this. If, another one of these beautiful if-then statements, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. What's the key word? Abide. Abide. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I said these things to you so that, read it with me, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus has this particular kind of joy that can radiate from his life into your life. For the first time in my life, I had the great privilege of um, being taken on a trip by some of our best friends uh, out to California. And it was amazing to me. There were a lot of grapes out there. A lot of grapes. Now, what you may or may not know from this, do you see this kind of woody? Oh, oh, yeah, I can't do that very well here. Um, you see the, sort of that knotty, woody thing? That is the vine. That's the vine. It's old. It makes very expensive wine that I can't afford. It's true. Do you see those little brown things that are everywhere? 
They look like little sticks. Those are the branches. Do you see the little purple and green things? That's called fruit. Does the fruit come off of the vine or off the branches? It comes off the branches. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And you are to bear much fruit in me. But what happens if you snap one of those branches off of the vine? How much fruit are you going to get? None. That's what Jesus says. He's not saying this is how it should be. He's not shaming us. He's just saying this is the case. It's a matter of fact. It's the truth of the matter. You abide in me and I abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. And if you're paying attention, abiding is the way to joy. Sometimes it's effortless. But most of the time, it takes all the very best that you have. But sometimes you practice enough at something. You know, you shoot a million free throws. A million and one's not so hard. But those first hundred are rough. But abiding is the way to joy. And joy is a result of a life guided and powered by the Holy Spirit. That's what we uh, learn as we look at the early church. Paul said to the early church in Galatia, he says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is what, friends? Read them with me. Love, joy. Oh, there it is. Peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, friends, let me ask you, if you woke up this morning and said, I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to be gentle. How gentle will you be? You will not. You will not. Because gentleness, like joy, comes from abiding in the vine. Now, you can turn your heart towards Jesus, and these things will come through indirection. So, here's the thing. I want, this is the good news. You can have joy right here, right now, right where you are. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You really don't. You can start right now. And so, this is the reality that I want you to know about. Um, I need a volunteer. Can I have a volunteer? Yeah, come on. This will be great. Come on. Yeah, come on. Come on, come on. Okay. So... I want you to stand right here and face them. Them. Okay? All right. So, um, to your left is a box. I want you to look in that box. And I want you to find, um, if you'll hand me the Sharpie. That would be great. All right. Um, give, give me that box right there, if you will. Thank you. Now see, here's, let's just say, all of us, we live in our little boxes. Everybody can see this box, right? Okay. Let's just say that this is you, right? Y-O-U, but for now, it's just you. I'm in a hurry, okay? (laughs) Now, will you look back in there? Should, will you give me that box? Anybody know why it's okay to use the term Xmas? Because it's Greek for Christ. It's just shorthand. So don't, don't get all upset when somebody says Xmas. It means Christmas. It's fine. Just tell them you know Greek. Be like, get over it. It's fine. <laughs> so, what does Paul say 
about you and Christ. What does he say? To the folks in Corinth, he says this, Christ is in you, right? Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? I mean, really, you start to get depressed. He says, no, no, there you go. Christ is in you. We put that on top of there for me. Thank you. That's what you need to know. Christ is in you. Do you know that? We talk about Jesus coming into our heart. Christ is in you. But then he goes to Galatia. And he says, sorry, you got it. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we know whether you are in Corinth or whether you're in Galatia or whether you're in Edmond, Oklahoma, where's Christ live? In you. So when people come after you, do you need to be worried about it? No. Why? Because Christ is in you. God Almighty from heaven to earth. And then Paul does something even crazier. He goes over to Colossae, and he says this, and he writes this. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden where? With Christ in God. So will you look in there one more time? So let me get this straight. So Christ lives in you, right? But then Paul says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Jesus Christ, again, Greek. So you you understand this. I I I want you to understand this before you get all upset about something, right? That, you help me out here? See, there's you. What's inside of you? Christ, but you are in Christ. Isn't that true? Right? And so, um, go to the next one. Here's the big finish. And Christ is in God. So let's, let's, see, let's see the God box here, brother. Didn't know I was make you work this hard. All right. You open it up? All right. So, Christ is in God. You are in Christ. Christ is in you, right? This is a big box, right? You've got nothing to worry about. Thank you. Give it up for our wonderful volunteer. Thank you. I want you to think about this, right? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's what Colossians 3.3 says, isn't it? Right? Now I want you to think about your week. And I want you to think about all those terrible people that have been messing with you this week. Somebody didn't like your project. They didn't like your paper. And they have these little arrows, little rubber bands. And they're like, Mark, your sermons are too long. (laughs) Right? And they say, Mark. I mean, there's lots of arrows. Everybody's got arrows, right? They say, oh, no, your car is too old. Oh, you know, and then, I mean, what, just pick, I mean, what, what is somebody, what hurts your feelings this week? Right? What? Um, friends being rude. Friends being rude. <laughs> now, is that getting anywhere close to you? No, because 
God is how much power? All power. And, and let's just pretend for a second that somehow, someway, one of these nasty arrows, let's say Satan himself, was somehow to wiggle in, right, and get in here. Is he going to get to you then? Where is he going to get to? Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. From heaven to earth. And then, and then let's just say that for whatever reason, you have turned your back on God, you have turned your back on Christ, you've not been living right, and somehow something has gotten all the way into you. Is that a problem? No. Why? Because Christ is in you. There is nothing on heaven or on earth or underneath the earth that compares to Christ and his love for you. His full salvation. You swim, you breathe, you live in the power and the joy of the Lord. And it is your strength. There's nothing in this earth to be afraid of. Nothing in this earth to bother you ever again. Because God, all of God, in Christ, in you, you in Christ, Christ in God, will supply your every need. Say that with me. God will supply your every need. How do we know this? It's in the scriptures. Paul says it in the, in the early church in Philippi. And my God, say it with me, will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. That's the promise. Now I want to give you a visual of where I'm trying to take us. This, I saw this when I was in college and I've been trying to live into it ever since. It says at the bottom, you know, we're just not reaching that guy. There is a, a phrase of my Episcopal friends in their ordination liturgy, and they ask the clergy, are you willing to go to hell in order that some might be saved, as our Lord Jesus did? Wouldn't it be great? You see, he, he knows something other people don't know. Christ is in him, and he is in Christ, and Christ is in God. It doesn't matter what the demons say. It doesn't matter where he is. It doesn't matter where he goes. It doesn't matter. Amen? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on around you because you are in Christ. Christ is in you and Christ is in God. Now that, you just can't beat that. You can't beat that guy. By the way, that's John Vick right there. That's our John. That's our John. So our action steps for this week, friends. As serious as I can be with you tonight, I really do beg you to limit your exposure to comparison, to cruelty, and to tragedy. We're not made for it. Now, I'm not talking about being some cloistered life where you're never any good for anybody. I'm not saying that. There are times to engage. But we're not the Savior. Christ will call us and direct us, and the Holy Spirit will call us and direct us at the right time. Not every time. Amen? Amen. And we have to be healthy enough to be able to engage at the right time. The next thing is that we really are made for the world um, in a good way, in nature. Uh, We are made to work with our feelings, to journal, and to weep at the right time, and then to stop weeping when it's time to gather together as a family and to celebrate. And as we do that, to always remember and feed the poor, serve the poor, help the poor. That's what John Wesley called us to do as Methodists. That's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what God called um, his people to do before Jesus came. This is, this is the path to joy, friends. And then finally, love God. Because he first loved us. Because, friends, remember all of this? 
you are surrounded by love. I mean, you are swimming in it, friends. It's inside of you. You're inside of it. It's inside of more love. And that's why we come tonight to say joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Not maybe, not if, not someday. The Lord has come. Let us, you and I, receive our King and live in the joy of the Lord. It is our strength. Amen? All right, let's go live like it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that it is you and you alone who are our joy. And that joy is our strength and it surrounds us tonight in ways that we see and know and ways that we do not and may never know. But we pray at the right time, at your appointed time, we will see it. We see things dimly now, but we'll see face to face one day because you are good and you love us and all your children. And so we thank you for our life as it is. We pray you'd make us teachable. You'd help us to serve in your name, to bless in your name, to be unafraid in your name. And to pray the prayer your son Jesus taught us by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.